Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. On the Hockey IQ podcast, we welcome back Will Scouch. Welcome, oh, Will. my God. The crowd goes wild. Mr. Revac, how are you doing? Excellent. Well, uh, I'm very happy that you're supporting Ohio with your sweatshirt right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know where it's at. Yeah. Uh, awesome, ar- awesome arena. Had a great time there. There was a, a little drone blimp flying around. Great craft beer selection. I have no – Columbus is one of the more underrated – hockey towns out there i think it's i had a i had a ton of fun there can't wait for you to come back i only have like seven extra bedrooms so yeah you know, okay. bring your whole posse with you <laughs> sounds good one yeah I'll, I'll, I'll book my flights next week okay sounds good now I'll, I'll come up to toronto and visit you in austin soon there you go yeah it'll be fun there you go well let's uh start talking some hockey here um obviously you're the prospect guy uh you just started a newsletter so everyone should go I subscribe did. to that yeah. uh yeah, make sure you already got the Hockey IQ, which you're smart enough. You already did. Uh, yep. But now you need to expand and get the scouting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're the coach. I'm the I'm the video guy, you know. Yeah, you're the yin, yin and coach. yang. Yeah. There you go. Well, I, I, you know what? Before we dive in, let's let's go back. I thought you had a, a really nice post um, that you put out about doing it, but also you mentioned some imposter syndrome. So I'd love for you to dive into that a little bit. I think that's important oh, yeah. for people to understand the, the realism behind all the genius that is Will Scouch and a lot of folks out there. See me, NHLers. see me, me wincing when you said genius is a good, is a good introduction to the concept. I mean, so I don't know if anyone listening is unfamiliar with the concept of imposter syndrome, but it basically is this psychological mechanism that preys on your mind where you never really feel satisfactory enough at a thing that you don't deserve the attention you get for doing that thing. Um, so for me, for example, uh, a big, you know, like when I, when I grew up, I mean, I'm from Toronto, I grew up playing hockey. I didn't play very well. I just played hockey growing up. I loved it. Um, didn't play every single day. Like some kids did, but I played a lot and I loved it. But I never really went that far, but I still love hockey, obviously. I'm doing the work I do now. And I have a university degree in kinesiology and not like gym class kinesiology, like hard science, biomechanics, stats analysis, university courses, which was a very interesting experience. Um, but it it had been a while since I sort of took over, uh, and, or not took over, but started doing the hockey thing again uh, as a young professional. I might have been maybe 26. And so I kind of picked it up from scratch, basically, and sort of never really understood sort of high-level hockey concepts or even thought about it that much. 
I watched hockey, but I never really sort of got super involved. And um, over time, I started getting more and more confident. Um, but that's sort of like a double-edged sword, right? Like, because especially as someone who's not born and bred in hockey, and my parents aren't hockey people whatsoever, um, you know, I was much more of just uh, doing it for my own purposes kind of kind of hockey player. And so now when I'm older and trying to actually get into the industry and with how much, I guess the word you could use is gatekeeping there can be in the industry, you know, you always are measuring yourself against those who are already in the industry and making sure that you feel confident in your own abilities. And I mean, I, I, I don't know, I bust, I bust my butt doing this stuff. I watch hundreds of games a year across hundreds of players I, you know, I have all this data, but people seem to think that I'm just the guy on YouTube with all this fancy data. And like, I see it all the time. Like, oh, like I love analytics as much as the next guy, but you can't apply it to junior players. You can't apply it to this and this and this. And you see people say that and have it sort of resonate with other people in hockey, you sort of get it in your own head and you're like, well, yeah, what if, what if everything I'm doing is completely pointless and meaningless? You know, what What benefit do I have to the industry when companies like SportLogic exist or Instat exist and they do a lot of this work already? But, you know, I, I don't know. I like doing it. I think over the years it's gotten easier to manage for me. Like I've been, this is my fifth draft really covering it in detail and it'll now be my fourth really, really deep dive data-wise into the draft. And I think I've hit a point where I'm pretty happy with the data that comes out and pretty happy knowing how to balance it. And it's just, I think, I think with the imposter syndrome thing, I brought it up in the newsletter because it just sort of naturally came out from looking at the draft class as it is now, what my impressions of the draft class is now and what outlets out there are saying about the draft class, because I've been doing this for years and I look at it and I'm going, I don't see it anything like how a lot of people are seeing it this year. And that simultaneously scares me because on one hand, I might be completely out to lunch with everything I've been working my, my butt off for, or I just need to be sort of confident ride or die and just keep, keep riding off into the sunset and, and keep doing the grinding thing and just put my opinion out there. Um, and what's comforting is that when you look at average rankings and how NHL drafts look uh, five, 10 years down the road, it never is like the best player is always first and the 20th player is always 20th best. There's always noise. There's always factors that change things. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just sort of flowed naturally from that. And I went, okay, this is a good opportunity for me to be like, I'm sure I'm not the only person who deals with this kind of thing regularly, even if it is less frequent than it used to be. Um, and I've sort of done a better job of siloing myself off to sort of you know, just focus on my own work. And I talk to people and change my opinions, but, you know, a lot of it still comes back to what I see and what I think. So yeah, it, it, it just came out of that whole exercise of me sort of slowly gathering data on what everyone else is saying about this draft class and looking at the players that I have ranked a lot higher or lower. And I'm going, yeah, either I'm really out to lunch or there's something funny going on here and things might look a lot different at the end of the year. Well, thank you for sharing uh, all of that. Um, yeah, you're not the only one out there. No, absolutely not. And it's it's perfectly normal. I think it's a good thing in a way. Like it's I think there's a I think there are people in data and analytics and sports, not just hockey, but 
I mean, there are lots of people, it seems, across all uh, across all platforms and any sort of culture like that, that don't that that might think that they're impervious to this sort of self-criticism or, or, or recognizing the need for improvement in the work that you're doing. I mean, look at what Elon Musk is doing to Twitter right now. That guy thinks he's the king of the world and it's just imploding right in front of his face and he still doesn't understand why. Like that guy needs a dose of imposter syndrome working at a giant tech social media empire. Uh, but I don't have the luxury of just buying a, a hockey team and trying to figure it out on the fly when I, when I show up for work. Um, but anyway, in any, in any case, I think it's a good thing in some way, but for me, it's definitely at times been, I wouldn't say debilitating, but a struggle, you know, especially being someone who is not super inter intertwined in the hockey world. Uh, no matter how many times people in hockey come up and say, Hey, like you have some nice, good things to say, or like, I'm interested in the work that you do and blah, blah, blah. And we talk about it. Um, cause that number is far smaller than the number of people in hockey who I have never heard from or interacted with. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. I think it's a good thing in small doses. Um, and I think over time it ideally gets a little bit better, the more work you do and the more confident you get, it's, it's the Dunning Kruger thing. You start out super, super confident. And then you hit that, that Valley where you go, okay, maybe I should learn a few more things before I be so definitive and then slowly it gets a little better. And then eventually, you know, it, it, it kind of just gets a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. Before you know it, you're pumping the tires on Lucas Gustafson to get drafted oh. two years in a row. Uh, and, before, and, and then the next and year, you're just definitely right. Yeah. Here he is at Boston college doing his thing. Almost a point a game. It's my boy. Yeah. He's doing his thing. And, uh, Hopefully, hopefully. I think he's still draft eligible. I think. I think this is his last yeah, year. Yeah, one more. So he'll, he'll be like uh, Moser. Wouldn't that Arizona. be fun? Yeah, get that last year. Yeah, Giannis Moser. I, I think, hey, he played in the NHL already. It's true. I, I think uh, Gustafson's uh, path will be a little bit longer than that. Yeah, I think so too. But I've watched a couple of games of him this year. He looks pretty good for a freshman, you know, even though he's 20. I don't care. He looks pretty good. I'm having a lot of fun, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take that and hold on to it as long as I can. Excellent. Well, talking about other freshmen in college that we both agree on, um, let's let's talk about Adam Fantilli out of the University of Michigan. Uh, oh yeah. Do, do you have him ranked above the Connor <laughs> Bedard? I do not, but they're in the same tier for me. They're in a tier by themselves up at the top. I, you know. Like I, I, I actually did this exercise <clears throat> not too long ago where I looked at, I did a game of Connor Bedard and then I went straight into a game of Adam Fantilli and I just back to back, totally unbiased, threw everything out the door and just said, okay, I'm just going to watch these guys play and, and track some data and see how it turns out. And like, there are definitely some areas of Adam Fantilli's game where, you know, you could be a nit little nitpicky about, you know, Maybe he could be a little bit stronger to get out of these situations, but you know, he's got the size and the frame to sort of figure that stuff out. But I mean, it's pretty rare that you find a guy with that kind of size, those kind, that kind of hand hands and skill quality, that kind of finishing ability. He's an, he's also a pretty darn good playmaker too on the rush. Like that guy knows how to find space, knows how to hit teammates in space. Like he, he hit a few really impressive passes from below the goal line, grinding it out below the net, you know, doing the things where I'm watching him and I'm going, he may as well be in the NHL already. Like he's playing like an NHL player, especially like a big NHL center. And I feel like he's 
you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the NHL next year. Like what's he going to, he's going to score. He's on pace for, I think a 60 something point NCAA season this year, like two points a game. There's no, like, where else is he going to go from there? Going back to college. He's just, he's taking over games, but we'll see how he does when he plays more sort of within conference opponents. Cause I think he scored a lot against like Lindenwood university. Yeah, I was going to say Linden, Lindenwood yeah. is not a good uh, Lindenwood is not a good barometer, but I watched a game of his against Penn state, I think. And I think they lost and he played extremely well in that game. But then I go to Connor Bedard and I'm going, all right. Yeah. But like, I, it's still extremely early in the year, but I watch Connor Bedard and the criticisms I have are sort of like, well, it's very obvious to me that Regina is just throwing him over the boards and saying, just do whatever you want. Defenseman, get the puck to Connor. Connor, no one's going to touch you in the neutral zone. Just do whatever and, and, and get your chances in the offensive zone because you're our best player. And Tanner Howe, get the puck to Connor Bedard. Um, Bedard, go for the shot first. But if you see a chance with, with Tanner Howe somewhere, then hit him and, and make a play. I, but I look at that and I'm going, yeah, he's going to play, I'd say what this season, 75 games, at least start to finish. And the, the, I feel like there's bad habits in that, in his game. Like I see him going end to end a lot straight line. No one's challenging him in the WHL. Cause why would you, he's just going to, he's, he's got great hands and, and he's really quick, but no one really sort of steps up to challenge him. And when he gets into the offensive zone, like I've seen him shoot from the goal line a lot more than he shoots from right in front of the net. Like sometimes he'll get there, but he's much more of a rush offense guy shooting pucks from the top of the faceoff circle from the goal line, really low sort of danger areas. He's getting his chances from the middle of faceoff circles as well, but he's, I think he has like one of the highest rates of low danger shot attempts of any player I've tracked this year. Cause he's just shooting from everywhere. He can. He has the license to do that because I've seen him score in ways that I've never seen NHL players score. But, like, I don't know. I think it makes it arguable that both of those players could be in the group, in a grouping together. Like, it's, I don't think that's that controversial based on what I've seen of both of these players. I look at Fantilli and I see a lot, a, a much more projectable event driver at five on five. But in terms of shooting and scoring and, and all of the things that are going to hit highlight reels, I mean, Connor Bedard is is there. Like, I mean, I kind of see it like Connor Bedard is kind of like Patrick Kane, but if Patrick Kane could really shoot the puck. And we look at Patrick Kane going first overall in 2007, and at the time it was like, yeah, you're probably going to take, you're probably going to take him. But right behind him is. I don't know what the equivalent in 2007 would be. I don't, I don't know. I think in that year it was like Kyle Turris and James Van Riemsdyk, but right behind Connor Bedard, you've got a really, really good, big skilled finishing center that a coach could do a lot of things with. And I don't know, it'll be fascinating to see how things go. Um, But I see it as a lot closer, I think, than a lot of people seem to be out there saying. I, I know folks that rate Fantilli above Bedard. Um, I don't think that's controversial at all. And I, I, I don't think it is either. Uh, yeah. If you put Michkov in the top two, I think that's probably more controversial. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, Fantilli, you, you look at his body of work, it's solid. You see, you hear him talk about his approach, it's great. 
like when he talks about it, he's like, ah, I'm not really into goals. Like I just want to have fun getting yep. better. Like that's a great way to have lifelong learning. Curious guy. Um, yep. He's been around, around like great environments to really grow. I mean, in Chicago and yeah. Michigan with, with Brandon Arado, like, yeah, he's going to get pushed. He's playing really good competition. Like Bedard, I kind of get worried. Like, he doesn't have anything really left to prove. You throw him out. Like, is he really like what's he working on? That's well, what I'm gonna be curious to watch. Is like how does he evolve throughout the season to continue yeah. to dive into new facets of the game? Because the NHL, like, he was five nine. Yeah, something like that. Like he's gonna have to, you know, pull into some you know initiating contact, uh, turning guys' feet, like all of these things. Like it's, it's doable. Marty St. Louis did it. Yep. Hall I mean, I've seen I've, I've seen him do those kinds of things. I, like Connor Bedard, underrated, low key, is a bit of a rat. Like that guy will go at you. Like he he stands up for himself. He goes at guys. So I, I don't think I'm so concerned about that. But I mean, I I was talking about this in the Discord server a little while ago with someone who's kind of pushing back on me, saying Bedard has these habits and stuff where I'm going, I don't know. Like it's if I were coaching him, I'd be kind of frustrated. But you get you let him get away with it because he can just be like, well, I'm scoring goals. Like you can't, you can't tell a potential 70 goal scorer to cool it with the shooting. You can't, you just, you can't, but you look at it and you go, yeah, but you're shooting from the goal line and like goalies aren't tight to the post. So it's going in, but goalies are going to be tight to the post all over the place. Once you're out, out of the WHL. So like, but so in the Discord server, someone was pushing back saying, hey, but like, if you look at his World Junior tape, he was a lot different. Like, he was a lot more sort of team-oriented and seemed to settle in a lot better and still scored a lot. And I went and watched some tape from the World Junior, and that's true. Like, he adapted and and was a lot better getting pucks off the boards and really not necessarily like, we're going to give you the puck in the defensive end and you just automatically will transport it into the offensive end. Like, that that's what happens in the WHL but he was a lot more participatory in rushes in terms of passing and, and crossing blue lines and making a play, like not putting too much on his shoulders, which is great, but that was before the season began. And now he's going to have seven or eight months of WHL habits. And it's just a question mark to me. Like, I think I'd be curious to see if he makes it to the world championships or something for the Canadian team this year. I would love to see him play in that tournament uh, and see what comes out of it. I, I feel like he's good enough to at least go. It's not the it wouldn't be the first time a draft eligible Canadian went to the went to the World Championships, but because I want to see I want to see him get tested and pushed around a little bit and and see what he can do. But I I don't know I'm not really concerned about him. It's just a matter of he's going to be a great NHL scoring forward. But I also see Adam Fantilli as a really good NHL scoring center, but also just a dog, like a guy that you can throw over the boards in the playoffs and he's going to grind. Like before the podcast, we were talking about him with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Perfect. Like that, that is such a great fit. And I feel like that would be a huge ad for them, you know, and I feel like there's a lot of teams where you could say that. Would Connor Bedard be a huge ad for the Vancouver Canucks? Yes, absolutely. But would, I don't would know. you rather have a Patrice Bergeron or a Brad Marchand? I feel like that's like your choice. Like, oh, right. what do you want? Like, if both of them are fan, fantastic. Yeah, like I, I don't really care. I take one of them, but I get, and I feel like you know, like I think something that people are going to have to be a little careful of, like what's happening with Matt Michkov, is 
I it, like a big reason I don't track power play points. I don't track power play time because it doesn't make that much of a difference to me. Like you should be a very good player at, at on the power play if you're a top end prospect because you have a numerical advantage on the ice. Like I don't really it doesn't really push me one way or the other how a player plays on the power play. And I feel like with Connor Bedard, like if he's struggling scoring, you just put him on the power play and he'll you get him the puck and he'll shoot the puck and score because he can do that. But the game, most of the game is not played on the power play. And with Matthew Michkov, a bunch of his goals this year are on the power play. And it's just them feeding him pucks at the faceoff dot and he can shoot. So they go in, especially against like mid-level Russian goaltending. And when I look at Adam Fantilli, I see a lot more of like Matty Beneers style offense where it's just like grinding and there's a bit of skill there, but there's power and strength and, you know, he can really shoot the puck too, but he grinds his way into scoring areas. And I, I mean, is that more valuable at, especially at five on five? And like, I think there's a case for it to be, yes, I, I guess what we're saying is that they're very, very comparable. And I'm not at all surprised to hear you say that there are some people out there that's got, that has it flipped around. I, I, I'm not surprised whatsoever. And I will see how it goes. It'll be interesting. Uh, as I'll get out, that's for sure. Um, the value of a good quality center is is truly valuable in so many shapes and forms. I mean, it's the center of the chessboard, but the scoring, you can't go wrong. Both are fantastic. Both have phenomenal adaptability cool. and, and ability to own their own development and figure it out. Like, you just can't go yeah. wrong. It, it's, it's not like the Connor McDavid Eichel draft, but it's like if you just took it down just one notch, I yeah. feel like it's right there. Yeah. And I mean, Connor Bedard also plays center. He's also a center. But when I watch him, I don't, I don't see the same 200 foot impact, especially when he doesn't have the puck. Like, and that's what I mean by bad habits. Like, when I look at Connor Bedard, I'm going, yeah, you're a center, you're a leader on your team, you're the captain but you're waiting, you're kind of waiting for things to happen around you. You know, it's like, he's, he's always very quick to sort of jump into a rush and, and they're very quick to hit him with a breakout pass. Like I, the, the, the day, the data I've tracked on him so far is just outrageous when it comes to getting pucks up the ice, like through, I've done two games. He's uh, sitting around 50% involvement in offensive transitions. So out of every 10 times Regina's moving the puck up the ice, Connor Bedard's doing it somehow half the time, which is huge. And he's successful over 90% of the time. That is so bonkers good that I, I've never seen anything like that before. But it's almost like other teams are designing a defense around him like that on purpose, where they're just like, let's just get him into, the, into, the, into our defensive end and just slowly push him to the, to the wings and get him out of the scoring areas and just slowly nudge him off sit back, don't challenge him because he's going to get around you and just push him slowly into the boards. And I feel like sometimes that works, but since he's Connor Bedard, sometimes it doesn't. It's it, like when I see him, it's like, well, is he going to end up a winger, right? Because when I look at him in the defensive end, it's like, well, you know, not the most phenomenal defensive center, whereas Fantilli, like, there's a bit more there to like. And I, I, I don't know. But we'll see how it goes. It's it's obviously, it's still very early. It's mid-November, but it's been fascinating to watch these guys. And uh, again, going back to the imposter syndrome, I'm sitting there going, these two guys to me, you could have, we could talk about them for another hour if you wanted to, and still probably not come to an agreement on who, who we'd rather have. 
but that's the beauty of this year's draft is that there's a lot of really good talent that's floating around, especially in the top five, top 10 and uh, player cards, right? You could maybe land a couple of them. Uh, with how many injuries CBJ has, uh, you know, hoping to have one. Yep. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Well, hey, you're the 2023 draft guy. I'm, I'm the 2025 draft guy. I'm just <laughs> skipping over 2024 altogether. I'll, oh, I'll yeah. touch on 2023, but yeah, 2024, psh, who cares? Yeah, it is kind of insane to me seeing 2025s playing at the under 17s. I mean, James Hagen's obviously set a record. Setting a record, not As bad. A double underager, yeah. Three points per game, you know. Um, I mean, I, I had a bit of experience going through the OHL draft class that year for next year's draft. And the WHL, I watched a lot of that draft class with like Roger McQueen in there. It's been fun watching that tournament in, uh, I forget where the tournament even is this year, at the, the under 17s, but it's been fun. I haven't seen a ton of it, but it's been fun. And uh I think the I think the future of hockey is in pretty good hands over the next uh, couple of seasons. Yeah, yeah, Lisa Banach, Hagens, yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome the talent yep. that we're going to get to see on prominent television soon. Uh, it, it's quite impressive how good some of these kids are. Like, it's scary sometimes. <laughs> yeah, like I I don't know if it's the YouTube age or what, but some of these kids, wow unbelievable yeah, what they just, can do yeah i mean it's it's pretty incredible i i you know we need more nhl teams is what i'm saying here like <laughs> put them in more cities like we need more talent dude like this is unbelievable yeah it's pretty amazing and i i think it's, it's always fun i mean i dipping my toe into scouting these 15 16 year olds it's kind of terrifying because so much can change at this age and guys can go up and guys can come down um just and that's normal, right? Like time passes and things change, um, but it's hard not to get excited, right? Like you watch this draft class, and I'm I'm pretty bullish on a lot of guys, and then I watch a bit of this tournament, and I'm going, oh okay, like there's a handful of guys in this tournament that look like they would be serious needle movers next season. So write them all down, follow up, and come back next year and see how they go, but. It's it's almost yeah it is almost scary to watch these guys play sometimes because you're like man I you're like when I was their age the the best kids in the world that was when like 2005 2006 like Jordan Stahl was a top prospect at the time and like I like Jordan Stahl as an NHL player but like times have changed a little bit I think and uh, yeah that they have it's no longer the uh, the Mighty Ducks getting kids into hockey uh, right highlight real goals by Trevor Zegers yeah. Yeah, it's it's imp- impressive. So continuing down our list of uh, players to get to, um, let's go to my number one ranked NHL draft defenseman from last year, uh, Seamus Casey. Uh, you know, I got a lot of heat for that. Uh, I know, I know you were high on him. Yep. But I was stupid high on him. Yep. Basically, it was like him and Lane Hudson, and uh, then Pavel, and then I, I like Simone Nemec after that, and then and then. Your check, but yeah, Casey. Uh, I think Mitch Brown put out just from his last game and just the, the sheer edge work, like his inside edges are the only thing coming close to rivaling Kale McCarr's inside edges. Tell me, yeah. about. <laughs> I mean, that's a high bar. Um, but yeah, just I saying, mean, only one coming close. <laughs> I mean, like, I think it is pretty clear to me that at 46, he should have been long gone. 
like it 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 kind of blew my mind I, and i don't think i really realized how far he fell in the draft at the time i like i had him at 12 on my list and i mean <laughs> like <laughs> i had a few guys in my first round go let's see i had three no two guys go in the third round or later that i had in the first round and one, two, three, five guys in the second round that I had my first round. But the five guys I had in my second round were Trikazov, Hudson, Casey, Jagger, Furkus, and I don't know. So I feel okay. And uh, Jack Hughes. So I feel okay about those things. But I, I mean, Seamus Casey is, I mean, I've seen a bit of him at Michigan. I think, I think the same issues are still there, but he's making it work right now. Like he's, he's getting around it in terms of the creativity and the hands. And like you said, his edges to get around guys, it's just really impressive. And I, I think that we both can agree, like he's not going to be a one and done, right? Like, I don't think he's NHL bound next season. You know, you give him another no, no. year or two in Michigan. Like once Luke Hughes goes to the NHL, you go, Hey, Seamus, how would you like to run our power play now or something? And it's like, okay, great. Uh, and that that's a natural sort of improvement in his role. And the more ice time he gets with Michigan and the more time he spends there, I have no problem with it. And I think he's only going to get better and better and better, especially once he gets stronger and, and, and quicker and sort of gets a little better on his feet. Cause I think that's the only thing holding him back from being really, really high end uh, on the back end for the devils. Um, it's actually scary. I, I don't know if any, if you watched the last weekend of Michigan's games, um, but like, when, when Luke Hughes seems to be taking a back seat to you a little bit, it's it's pretty freaking fun. Like, yep. you know, things are happening. Um, and I'm with you. Definitely not a one and done. Uh, need some time to throw on some weight. But he's starting to get stops against college kids. Like, yeah. And, you know, some of those guys are 25 years old. Like, yeah. they're, they're not small human beings. Like, they're truly men out there. And he's finding ways to get stops, get pucks back. Um, yep. Like he does things that, I, I, for me, he's like a little mini, mini Kale McCarr at times. Uh, doesn't have the bomb that Kale does. Yeah, like different, different kind of. Well, his more brain, like, his brain kind of works in a similar way. Like yeah. him and Hudson, I think both of their, when they're especially in the offensive zone, their brains seem to resonate in the same way. It's just Kale McCarr is Kale, goddamn McCarr, and not many other people are. Genetics play a role when you get to that level of freakishness. Like <laughs> the, K- the kale gene, right? Yeah, it's it's the kale gene. Yeah. Um, but just like the inside edge work is phenomenal. How he's always stutter stepping. Like, yeah, he's reading the game in real time. Like for me, that's a massive thing. Uh, as you go up, because the NHL truly is in a league of its own yep. in its cerebralness. I watch AHL games. I'm like, it's actually faster than the NHL. It's truly, from a physical standpoint, faster than the NHL. But the guys in the NHL just make you feel stupid and look stupid constantly. Yeah, there's a lot of push and pull in the NHL. Like they'll push it, push pace, pull it, push pace, pull it. There's a lot of like taking your time, making your reads. You know, very sort of tactical. But yeah, I mean, I I I can see how the AHL is a bit different in terms of just there seems to be just more pace to the game. It's more end to end. Um, from what I can recall, as opposed to the NHL, where if it's end to end, it's like, oh, something's gone wrong. And so let's slow it, <laughs> it, down. Let's, really slow it let's slow it down and take another read and, and take another go at it. I don't know. It's but yeah, I mean the NHL is a completely different animal and you do need 
in my opinion, from the back end, you need guys like Seamus Casey to sort of move pucks, get pucks up ice, you know, have the the skill and technical ability and the brain to think creatively and do stuff that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but works, right? Like, it's like, well, why would, you know, like I've seen him like spin off pressure and stuff and just dig in and just make quick cuts and just get around guys, put pucks where the guys aren't and fetch them and do stuff. And I'm going, yeah, like, I love that. Like I'd rather, and, and so, yeah, I'm looking at him going 46th overall and I just have a hard time seeing how that happens, but you know, such as life and uh, the devil's, you know, got another pretty good defenseman in the hopper. Yeah. It's funny. They chose a defenseman at second overall and actually got a better defenseman at 46. Crazy <laughs> how that works sometimes. But they also have Ethan Edwards, which he was one guy when when everyone uh, last year went away to like World Juniors, and he was playing at Michigan here at Ohio State, and I was like, "Who is this kid? Like, he's really good." And I looked him up, and I'm like, "Oh, of course, Devils have you know, yes, rich riches of good quality, very proficient skating defenseman." Yes, and he's a good one. I like him too. He's coming along one step at a time. I've liked Ethan Edwards for a while. Not too flashy. I don't know if he's an NHL player, but. It's one of those guys, I feel like there needs to be a word for that, where it's like, I don't think you're going to be in the NHL, but if, it'd be great if you were, but just really like watching you play, you know? And I, I think there's a lot of those guys, like, I mean, I don't know, you don't want to, you don't want to discourage them or anything, but it, it, I, I've always really liked watching a guy like Ethan Edwards play and defense, defensemen like him. I think they, I think defensemen like him always deserve sort of more attention from, from teams and everything. Like they just go undervalued. Like it, like, like I was a Charlie Letty. Yeah, like Charlie Letty. Like, what is Seamus? If Seamus Casey were two inches taller, would he be a second round pick? Probably not. Right? Oh, hell no. Hell no. Exactly. There's no way. And, like, and so I'm like, all right, well, teams are probably looking at his at numbers on a page. Speaking as a numbers guy, they're probably looking at numbers on a page and going, nah, let's go with the, let's go with whoever else. Right. And it's like, well, okay, you know, have fun. I think Noah Warren went ahead of him, if I'm not mistaken. And, well, it's know, like Seamus Casey, like you did just a little bit of research and talked to any of the coaches there. You had figured out exactly what the situation was. Like <clears> I, 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 I had more research. I felt like than some of the NHL teams on Casey, like right. they literally at the U S national development program were like, this is the year that you're focusing on defense. Like, okay, we're going to take him out of his best attributes and have him work on his weaknesses for a year. Like mm-hmm. good for his long-term development. Does it make him show up? Like he's a really good player. Like probably not. He's not leaning into his best attributes hundred percent of the time. Yeah. It's the Michigan and literally like, that's what he has. Like, Hey, go make stuff happen. Do not throw a point shot. Yeah. Boom. Like it plays right into him. And then of course he read the hockey IQ newsletter uh, and has improved his point play. Like this guy's a genius. Yeah. He's so he's awesome. And I, I don't know. I'm biased. I, I love cerebral players that like you can see them working through pr- problems and it's just only a matter of time until the physical tools catch up and mm-hmm. that's how i always felt with casey like if brian rafalski can be a hall of famer and win so many cups i'm like there's zero percent chance that seamus casey is not in yeah. the top four defense and i and then you know my bias is put him on a first pair of defense <laughs> sure but hey to each their own yeah but just like the the way that you're able to manipulate defenders and, and him and kale mccarr like they have a process that goes to it and there's no reason people can't steal the process. They just are able to execute it better because they've got freakish edges. Yeah. And it, and for me, like, it all starts with the idea um, of really just getting to manipulation, like the mindset of 
manipulating. Like that's all they think about. It's like, we're going to show them one look. We're going to drag them. So they have to adjust on the fly. And then as soon as they do something, we got them, or at least now we can step by them. Yeah. And I find that as like just a coach developing players, like getting players to a stage where like every pass you do for the next month, you look it off the growth in the players, not just from like looking off the passes, but just the general mindset of like messing with other players is massive. And I think you had some experiences doing this kind of, of work as well. Um, maybe not on ice, but from afar yeah. uh, of getting guys messing with other players. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's one, one thing, like if I were working with a young player, like one thing I would urge them to do is pick a junior A level game. Like let's say you're in the USHL and you wa- watch a USHL game like a good quality broadcast of a USHL game and then go to an NHL game and, and really start to see the differences and, and watch an NHL game where some of the players are like really high end, especially defensemen, you know, like, and try to see what they do really well. Like one of the things, a really good example is, and I have, again, this is anecdotal. I haven't dug deep into this. This just sort of came to me now, but I've been watching a bit of sharks hockey this year because I'm kind of intrigued by Eric Carlson and like what's going on with him and like what the hell is going on with him in terms of doing what he's doing. I mean, last night, was it last night when he fell down and caused, he was, he was walking the blue line and tripped over his feet and puck went the other way. And I, I have no idea, but tell me what's going on here. Uh, you know, well, but I, well, I think for me, I think, I think he's, I think, inst- I think he's adapting to the limitations that he's got now by utilizing a lot of what we're talking about like he's he's faking one way looking off passes he's he's sort of messing around like he's using his body to sort of point one direction and move in another one and he's he's sort of it seems like he's really sort of retrained himself to go okay i can't skate like i used to i can't move like i used to and i certainly can't afford to lose control of the hockey puck so I need to find a way when I do have the puck to stay on top of guys and keep them, keep them away from me and, and find ways to make space for myself. And again, I, I didn't see a tremendous amount of Eric Carlson over the years, like with a fine magnifying glass or whatever, but just from watching him at San Jose this year, it's a really good example of how he's a good, like McCarr would be another one, obviously, but that's like peak, peak, peak NHL player. It's, but that is a major thing that that I think a lot of um, players, it can be a hurdle for especially high-scoring players at the lower levels to adjust to in the NHL of like, well, defenders are going to, they're better, right? Like they're, they're better skaters than what you're used to. They're stronger than what you're used to. They know techniques to make it harder to get pucks through them, right? Like if you're going to throw seam passes, you got to, you got to find ways to open their feet. You got to find ways to change angles and get better looks or different looks at the offensive zone. And that's something that, you know, a lot of junior players, they're just take the puck straight up the ice and make a play, take the puck straight up the ice, attack the middle and get your scoring chance, wrap it around the back, you know, um, simple little tic-tac-toe plays like that. Sure. But there's a lot more uh, to the NHL game where it's like, well, you're going to need to adapt on the fly. If you really want to sort of hit that pinnacle of being an offensive NHL player, it's, it's, it's something that you definitely see 
in higher end players or even something as simple as just timing, right? Like Sidney Crosby is a master of just knowing when to make what play. And that comes down to like processing the game, being aware of your surroundings and adapting to things as they change on the fly. It doesn't even need to be a body fake. It's just a matter of knowing when the defender's stick is just not in a position to block your pass for a split second and going, all right, now is the time to do this. You know, and that's something that takes a long, long time to learn if you ever do. And it's, it's a bit, I think it's, I yeah, think it's how, one of the bigger how's your game doing with this, with the stick position. You, you got stick and passing lane all, all the time. I mean, I played defense. I played defense growing up and I've been playing a lot more hockey since the pandemic started than I used to. I fancy myself more of a puck on stick defender than a puck off stick defender. So we don't need to talk too much. <laughs> we don't need to talk too much about, uh, about my stick positioning, but uh, I do, I do below average for myself I'll, I'll leave it at that i do below average for myself not well below average well at least you're, you're i mean watching so much hockey you're probably starting to test some of these things out where you're like oh let's you know try some of these things and oh absolutely like, I, I i watched connor bedard last season score a goal from pretty much the blue line with his body facing the the sideboards and he just pulled it back on his back foot and just ripped it like cross body like that. And it went top shelf and I'm going, yeah, I wouldn't have expected a shot from there either. And if you could put it bar down from almost the blue line, great. Now I can't put a bar down from the blue line if I'm doing that, but pulling pucks back foot and, and really getting some leverage and downforce on your stick to put some lift on the puck. Yeah. Like that, that works. Like that kind of thing can certainly work and it's unpredictable. Um, but that's, you know, I mean, I still suck at hockey, right? Like I'm still, you know, don't, don't we all? Yeah. Not great. I'm an okay skater, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's fun just watching the players and like trying some of these things. Like I try some of the stuff that I talked about with yeah. Casey and Makar, like all the time from the point, like sh- let me short the zone, see if I can shake a guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, half the time I'm terrible and I can't, but you know, at least I'm trying here and then Sooner or later, I find like, oh yeah, there I got it. Yeah, but like, just, it's just fun to like actually take all these things we talk about and put it into play in, in the real world. Yeah, for sure. In our in our elite level, I play a lot of ball hockey and uh, I play deep ball hockey too. So I do try a lot of that ball hockey wise because it means I don't have to run as much. Like if I if I fake a guy one way and tap the ball between his feet and his stick and I get a little bit of space and they're going this way and I'm going back that way. That's, that's a fun little trick. And it means I don't have to run as much and I can just, you know, get a pass out in front of the net or something, which is kind of neat, but yeah, that's, it, it is kind of fun to try that stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think about what I'm trying out right now. Uh, Cause I, I've been switching a lot back and forth between center and defense like center, I'm just trying not to touch the wall at any point. Just like staying inside the dots 24-7. And when I catch myself actually doing that, I feel like my team's always caving in the other side. And as soon as I start to feel myself like getting outside the dots, like just just team's not playing so good. Like just right. being the center of the chessboard on that, like that just from a positioning standpoint of the center is just massive. Uh yeah. this kid totally lost it as an adult, you know, who cares about defense at this point in life. Right. I've always uh, loved, I always loved playing center. I never did it that much, but I loved it. I thought it was a really, really interesting position to play. I, I always play, I'm a right shot D. I was a big kid growing up. So they just plopped me on D, told me to just shoot from the point, 
you know. Oh, everything I, I swear not to do anymore for yep. development. My own. All right. It was a right. different. It was a different time. It was two thousand and two. <laughs> it was two thousand one, two thousand two. <laughs> it was a different time back then, and uh, I I could have gone all the way. I think if I if I just had better coaching, I could go. I could have gone all the way. But damn, uh, coach's fault. I uh, know it's all <laughs> the coach's fault. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, and then on defense, yeah, just cutting the top a little bit, getting in, shorting the zone. Like, yeah, a lot of fun out here. Like, or just like. Instead of making the easy play up the wall, like oh, can I fake up the wall? And go oh yeah, between their triangle. Oh, I'm doing that. Like, I'm doing that. Oh yeah, hit center all day long. Yeah, and then when it, when it fails, it's spectacular. But when it works, it's also spectacular. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, we we get a zone entry or we get a goal against. I mean, it's, you know, risk reward adult league much. Yeah, all day long. Love that stuff. Um, Okay, so so do you take point shots now? Because if, if you still are taking point shots in adult, like you and I might start to have some um, issues here. I try not to. Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't think I've played. I play a lot of shinny, full equipment shinny, and then I don't give. A, I don't care. So I just grab the puck and go. Um, but actually, yeah, playing a lot of shinny, I have tried playing center a lot more, and that's more fun. I think than playing D for me because I have a little more freedom to get up the ice and sort of do stuff. But yeah, I mean, if I'm, I, I do try the shimmy move, the shimmy, the little shimmy moves in the offensive zone. If I'm parked up on the right side boards and do that, that whole thing. One thing that was very interesting and this ha- this happened to me a few years ago um, was I'm a right shot, but playing the left side. And I, I, I think it was around the time when Mike Babcock was making a big stink about how Toronto had a mismatched number of left and right hand shot defensemen, and he was blah 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 blah. And I'm sitting there going, "What a, you know, what a silly thing! Like, who cares what direction they shoot?" And this is where I mean, like, I'm an idiot still sometimes because I stepped out on the ice and I was like, "All right, I, I play right hand D. I'm going to try left side. Like, I'm playing Shinny tonight. Let's try left side D." And guys would cycle the puck along the boards, and it would just I corralling pucks on the off on the backhand coming off the boards that's something i try to work on as much as i can now just to like get used to it because it is not easy it sounds easy but it is not and so i'm looking at that and i'm going all right now i see why a lot of coaches will take the really really mobile and skilled defenders and play them on the offside like now i totally understand how that's possible because coming off the boards with the puck on the wrong side and and making plays with like when you're shooting right and you're moving up the right side of the of the ice you got the boards for support like you can chip it up the boards a lot easier you don't have to sort of go across a defender's body and on the other side you don't really get that luxury you might have a better shooting lane maybe but who cares it's a point shot so i don't know i've i've i it was a really weird lesson for me i came off the ice and i went okay, yeah, now I kind of get where Mike Babcock's coming from. Like, it's a, it might be a little bit overblown, and I, you can definitely get away with switching guys around, but they got to be the right guys. You know, like, you don't want to... Yeah, you need your Rasmus of the yeah, world. Yeah, you need Rasmus Stalin on the wrong side, not uh, not Luke Shen or not, uh, you know... Tyler Myers. Tyler Myers, yeah. All due respect to Tyler Myers, but you don't want him on the offside. I'm not sure I want him on the right side either. You said that, not me. I mean, I'm sure Vancouver Canucks fans these days would agree with you. Yeah, well, hey, uh, Rasmus Ristolainen, line too. We'll, we'll see where that goes. And side note, before we move on, that guy's that guy. I think in this generation has had the most tragic NHL career because I don't know if you remember watching him when he was young, like before he was drafted. 
Because oh, he was I do. so fun. He, like, was he was gross. And the Sabres just took him and was like, you're big. You can play defense. Don't touch the puck. And it was like, okay. And he just became a hit factory. And that was it. And I was like, oh, well, that, yep. That's, but they I, I will stand. Changed I will, his identity. Yeah. I will stand Rasmus Ristolainen and say that he has been wronged in his career until he retires. And I will stand by that opinion. No one can convince me otherwise. That guy, when he was a kid, he he rocked like he it'd be like taking Miro Haskinen and be like do not cross the red line do not step up from the blue line you are going to hit everything that moves now and you're like don't that okay but that's going to ruin his game like that's going to completely transform who he is as a player and now we have Rasmus Ristolainen as he is now yeah it's 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 sad um yeah go look up the game-winning goal he scored for world junior gold like it was quite amazing. Walking down the right side, pulling it to his backhand and shoving it five hole as he like drives the net. Like it was, it was silky smooth hands too. Like I, I, I struggle with this because like you're completely changing a player's identity and taking away from their skill set. Like it's it's really rough. Like doing it right would be like uh, Savard up in Montreal. Like. He's best case scenario. Like he came yep. out as a offensive defenseman and transformed into a shutdown uh, defenseman. And if you see him in real life, like he looks big on the TV, and then you watch him in real life, and like, yeah, he's just meat. He's massive. Yeah, um, he's a big boy. Which is great seeing him in Montreal now. So you kind of get to see some of those elements from his pre-draft way back in the day when he was an offensive defenseman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like too often we saw guys just get canned into the Rasmus Ristolainen. Um, yeah, we. I mean, nowadays the coaching has evolved to the point where if you're not activating on D, it's kind of a weird thing. Like you, you're unleashing your Lucas Gustafson of the world, your Kale McCars of the world, yeah, your Miro Heiskins of the world, um, as you should. And you're, yeah, I mean, like any show, the scoring is up. Yeah, for like four straight years, and not just a little bit, like a lot of it. Well, I did, I did an actual, I, I did some data work on this years ago because I did notice the same thing. Like offense in the NHL was climbing and the forwards weren't really scoring more on a per minute basis. It was defensemen. Like the offense coming from defensemen is significantly higher than it was back in the day, which, yeah, like we're looking, I think Kale McCarr is the first defenseman ever if I'm not mistaken, if he gets there, he'd be the first defenseman ever to have 200 points in his first 200 games. That's crazy to me. Like that's bonkers. And like, that's, that's doable now. And would, would Kale McCarr have been Kale McCarr? Uh, Would Kale McCarr have been Kale McCarr? You know, if he had been drafted 15 years ago, where would Kale McCarr have even been drafted 15 years ago? Right? Like who, who knows? But it is. It, I, I, as far as I can tell, in terms of just raw scoring rates, defensemen are the ones that are driving the bus over the last five, ten years that are really driving the increases in scoring. And yeah, like you, like it's like the NHL realized that forty percent of the guys on the ice should also be able to score too, as opposed to the three guys playing forward. And it's like, yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> why, why not? Like what, what's wrong with that? Like why only have like a guy on your defense group that can score. And then it's like, okay, that's our offensive offense for the defenseman. The red, he can run the power play. 
everyone else scores 20 points and, and cross checks guys. It's just times are different now. And, and for the better by far. Yeah. Um, and we'll definitely put that out on the hockey IQ newsletter at some point. Um, need that. I'm just, I'm just sick of defensemen staying back or like well, when, when we run the world, they won't. <laughs> ah, love it. Well, it brings me back to my favorite defenseman uh, from the 2020 draft class. Maybe not the best. Uh, I'm not that stupid. Sometimes I, not, not on this one. Uh, I'm Neil Andre. Like, you, you and Sam gave me so much stuff on the McKean's video team of like, eh, like, no, son, just just sit back. I'm like, he's got he's got some nice components, and then he ends up, you know, gets a year in the second division, does well, year in the SHL, he's doing well, crushing out of the ballpark like a future NHL All Star. No, but you know, he's solid. I mean, for he's doing end, all right. An end of f- first round, maybe mid. You really want to put him highly. I mean, he's going to be a Tortorella favorite. Let's be honest. Like he likes to hit. He does use his body, which is kind of a problem being five, nine and a half, five, 10. If we, you know, put him in some extra pairs of socks, like <laughs> Torts will appreciate that. Like he's going to stop movement, uh, picks up guys and, you know, mid pair defense right there for Tortorella. will be like a Cam Atkinson. Like everyone's like, it shouldn't make sense with Tortorella. But here we are. Yeah, but here we are. Yeah, I mean, I, I he's coming along. But I think I think the way you phrased it before we started recording was like, would you like w- would you draft him if you had the chance? And like, where would you? And it's like, well, at the time, there are still guys at that slot where they were still available. And I go, yeah, I like this guy a little more than Andre. But is he on the like short list of? looking back on it, like five or seven guys that I'd be like, yeah, he's on the list. Sure. Is that like, whereas before it might've been maybe 12 guys, like I'd have to extend that list to like 10 or 12. It's like, he's moving up, you know, he's moving up the ladder a little. Um, I, again, I just, I, I, I just looked at him last year and I'm going, okay, I want to see him in the NHL, right? Like I want to see if he can do this in the NHL. Cause I just, I still think that he's going to be a good SHL defenseman and we'll see how it goes in the NHL. But I also, you know, I might be also stupid and who knows, he might win a Norris trophy just from me saying, no, uh, no, there's just zero percent chance of a Norris trophy. All right. Uh, all right. I will make sure that we're not getting bottom pair, <laughs> bottom pair ish guy. <laughs> your your favorite number six defenseman. Yeah, there you go. I can settle for that. I'll settle for, I'll compromise on that. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah. G- g- give me one more player that we should chat about. And then I think we should wrap this up. This has been a fun conversation cool. learning about how both of us are, are trying all of these things we talk about. In adult yeah. Life. That's, that's the highlight of the night. It is. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll take it to heart. I, I think I'm going to the rink again on Wednesday, so I'll give it a go, give it a spin and let you know how it goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of interested, like, it seems like you've seen quite a bit of Maffei Michkov and forgive me if I'm wrong. If you, if you have, I, I have not seen as much as you have, but well, I, I haven't I, seen I a tremendous amount. I, but... I check in on him probably once a month at least. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause you and I both seem to be on the same page about him as well in terms of there's good stuff and there's also not so good stuff. And it's he's not a just bit... the Russian factor. 
no, it's, it's not, not just the Russian. No, thing. everybody no. needs to stop saying that. It's not about him being Russian. That's not it. Uh, that just ain't it, Chief. And even then, like that, the thing that drives me crazy about that. Total side note, like he's extended to be in Russia until what twenty twenty five or six. Yeah, it's like yeah, like two that's or three when, years after. That's when most NHL prospects hit the NHL anyway. Like what he's basically saying with that is like, well, I'm not going to play in the AHL. I'm staying in Russia, and then when I'm ready, I'm coming to the NHL. Which to me is like, okay, like he's on SKA St. Petersburg. It's not like he's playing in Amur Khabarovsk on the east coast of the country. He's right in St. Petersburg playing for the best team in the KHL. We'll see how healthy the KHL is financially long term, but who cares? Uh, He's doing the thing with SKA St. Petersburg right now, and that's pretty cool. But, well, in the second division. But yeah, I mean... it definitely is not the Russian factor. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but well, let's let's start with the positives because sure. we both are going to go to negative town here shortly. Negative uh, town, I yeah. I really enjoy his board work. I think he's got some good genius in how he manages being around the boards. Uh, call that as a negative that he's around the boards that often, but he he does have that nice uh, shiftiness in his game. Some good body positioning around the wall where he's able to take pucks uh, and attack the middle a little bit. Yeah. Um, definitely not as much as, as we'd probably like, but I, I like his board work. I, I almost wrote a newsletter. I had it like 30, no, probably had like two cents left. And I was like, eh, I just don't like the video clips enough. Like it's too nuanced, but I really enjoy that part. So I'll, I'll start it off here. Board work is very nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I would agree with that most of the time. Like, I think, I think that what he brings that's really interesting is he, he has like, I mean, obviously the shooting is there. He can really shoot for sure. Um, and I do think that when he, I don't know if it's like a focus thing, but when he's dialed in, yeah, his awareness and his sense of timing is really interesting with his passing, especially coming off the boards, like you said. I, uh, I, it's just like, I don't really know what, are, are we ready to turn say. a negative town now? I, I just don't know what else. I just don't know what else I can say when I looked at him and I'm going, okay, like this is what I can sort of compliment him on. Like it, it, that sounds really bad, but I went into this season expecting like an extraordinary, like Ilya Kovalchuk style Russian offensive winger. And I don't know. I, I haven't seen it just yet. The, the steps just have not been taken where you'd like to see them go to the next level. Like he's almost like topped out a little bit. I mean, he's already a pretty stocky kid. It looks like he works out. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, and okay, that, that's is, something I've more picked there? up on too. Yeah. That's the thing too. I've picked up on, like, I don't want to like crap all over him. Cause I've definitely seen him with, and he's playing against professional competition. The VHL is not a joke. Most of the teams are pretty good. Some of the teams are pretty good. And when he's got guys all over him, he's not, like giving up he he knows how to sort of use his body to like gain leverage and and get some space and make little plays here and there but i also see a guy who you know really struggles consistently connecting on his passes sometimes passes the puck directly to opponents in really bad positions because he's not scanning and, and hitting where his line mates are he's a guy who from what i can tell is a volume shooter like, and that troubles me. Like, 
I, I say this every year, but there are always players every single year who score a lot of goals. And when I watch them, it's because they're shooting the puck all the time and they're good at shooting. Alexander Holtz, Joachim Kamel, this year, Matvey Michkov is shooting the puck a ton and it's going in. But also, if you look a little deeper, a lot of his points are on the power play. And I'm going, yeah, I would put him on the power play too when you have a numerical advantage and he can shoot like that. You just feed him the puck and he'll rifle it into the net. That's great. But at five on five, that's when most of the game is played. And I was sort of sitting there going, okay, he can't be this meh at five on five. Like a guy this well reputed with this much production history can't just be meh at five on five. But even when we put together the the McKean's thing last year on him, I was sitting there going, okay, like I get it. I see there's a bit going on here, but I'm not like blown away. You know, this guy doesn't seem to be like the next big thing out of Russia. Like I look at him this year just for a preview's sake. I've got him in the same tier as Mikhail Guliaev, who's playing in the KHL a whole bunch this year on defense and playing on the wrong side a lot. And, and like, he's not looking out of place there. And there are times when I'm looking at him and I'm going, this guy is just as exciting, if not more exciting than Matvey Michkov has been, let alone Dmitry Simishev, who's playing in the KHL full-time this year as a defenseman. There are moments that I watch him and I'm going, this guy is, has moments where he's more exciting than Matvey Michkov, but Michkov has the shot. He's got that sort of, like you said, that sort of stocky body where you can protect the puck and make plays and do all these little things really well. But I don't know. Like he's in my top 10 right now, for sure. Like I have a hard time passing on him in the top 10 because the offense is really interesting and it's only November. So I'm not going to toss him to the curb just because I've seen a couple of meh games to start the season, especially when he was hurt for a bit. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 it's been a fascinating, it's been a fascinating one to watch so far this year. Yeah. It's a fascinating evolution in how do players evolve over time. Like if, if you don't, track a player especially in their draft year because there's so much that changes or even like Sillinger for example is a great one for his pre-draft year and his draft year yeah there's like two separate players that you're watching and seeing how the kid evolves you're like okay he's definitely gonna be an NHL or he's gonna figure it out like he clearly has many layers to his game yeah how high it was that that was really the question is like okay he's gonna be in shell but how good so you just give me a third liner, which is kind of where he's trending towards right now. Like I'd put him in Cleveland because yeah, you're just going to get caged at this point in the NHL with CBJ, and you don't you don't need that. Put up Trey F- Fix Wolanski. that would be more fun. Oh yeah, CBJ Tyler Angle and, and Trey Fix Wolanski. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. And, and Michkov's kind of like the same way of like he's he's going to be in the NHL from just a pure talent standpoint. Yeah, how good is he really? Come. Is he going to be more of like a Nail Yakupov, Jesse Puliarvi <laughs> level? Yeah, or not? That, because he he does have like this. Like you can see the IQ, you can see the ability. You and I wrote a piece on him back when he did World Juniors as a double underager last year, and like you could see it. Like it's there, but it's just the same thing. It's like there's these little things where you're like, ah. Oh, yeah. I've seen players burn out and not make it even to the NHL for these kinds of reasons. For sure. And I, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see what happens because, again, it's still very early. But And I know I'm not the only person who's like this with him. I know I'm not. I, I There's other folks who watch a lot of Russian hockey, and 
they watch him and then the other couple of Russian guys that I think are first round talents. And, you know, yeah, yeah. Like he, you, it's a pretty, it's going to be pretty interesting looking back in five or 10 years as a case study of how far a shot can really take you like a quality release on your shot as a young player, how far that can take you. Cause it does, he does have that, but it is interesting just from my anecdotal, not anecdotal, but my experience tracking data in games, like watching, uh, in 2019, Vasily Podkolzin was another one. He really struggled getting right in tight to the net from what I could remember was a bit stuck to the perimeter or between the face-off circles for a powerful physical guy like that. And he's kind of struggled to bring his scoring to the NHL. Alexander Holtz, terrible shot metrics, shot from all over the offensive zone, really good shot, but shot from all over the place. And he has struggled to sort of find a role. Uh, Joachim Kamel, is not having as good a start to his year this year as he did last year. And that's because he was shooting from everywhere and the pucks were going in, you know, it's, 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 it's very interesting to think about where this kind of trend takes a player. Like with Mitchkov, I look at him and I still haven't seen, you know, something in his game where I'm going, okay, I wasn't super high on Joachim Kamel. Maybe I should have been lower on Alexander Holtz. Is there anything Matvey Michkov does better than those two guys? And right now, I don't really see an answer for that that I like. And so to me, it's like in my mind, he could be lower on my list by the end of the year than he already is. But it's still very early. And I know I've seen him do some interesting, interesting stuff here and there. It's just it's just going to be it's he's he's a weird one this year. And I, I don't know how to properly evaluate him at this point. Yeah. And the skating isn't like it's super clean where you're like, oh, he'll just make it even at worst. Like it's a guy who's just going to be a little bit of a rat and get after it. Which I also do not mind whatsoever. <laughs> which I don't mind. Like the skating, I, I don't know, the skating kind of holds him back for a lot of things, which yes. he's got the brain to get around it. But I look at his physique and his makeup, like he's a pretty stocky kid. Like it seems like he's put some weight. Like how much more can he possibly put on? Right. So, like, from a physical standpoint, going beyond. So, I'm just thinking, like, five years out, I'm like, I believe more in Bedard and Fantilli and maybe even Carlson, where there's guys that are going to do much better than he is. But mm-hmm. he had, I mean, he does have the elements like Bedard, where, like, yeah, you really can't teach it. Like, he has, he has those special elements, which is why he's made it this far. He's played for the national team of Russia, et cetera. Yeah. Like, special player. It's like, at this point, we're, we're not looking to see if he's special on it. It's like, how special? Like, are you going to be one of the difference makers where everyone talks about your name around the world? Yeah, of course. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the multi-million dollar question. Well, hey, Seamus Casey, baby. World domination. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. But I'll keep pounding that, that drum until it happens. Yeah. Uh, but I don't need to. He'll make it happen. Yeah, for sure. I have faith. Awesome. Well, uh, Will... This was fun as usual. Oh yeah, uh, we probably went way too long, and no one's listening to us right now. Uh, and if they are, wow, kudos! They just, they, yeah, you just learned a lot, uh, <laughs> and probably had a really fun time. Because I, I wish my professors, some... I wish my professor spoke to me like that. If you lasted this long, wow, you must have learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Basically, I feel like uh, you, you and I have good uh, chemistry here. We're like two line mates, you know, Bergeron pasta right now good chim yeah yeah uh i don't know who's the shooter though i feel Uh, like you're the trigger man 
Mm. Uh, I, I facilitate like Bergie. Just I'm make sure we're not doing anything stupid. I'm more of a. I don't know. I don't want to compare myself to Charlie McAvoy, but whoa! I like I'm a I, I like skating. I like playing with the puck, but I also can get pretty mean. I'm still healing my bruises from my last ball hockey game before I got COVID. So I, I like to throw my weight around. I like to move my move. My ah, body. That's why you like the rats. Yeah, that's why he likes rats because you are. <laughs> oh, sometimes, yeah. Especially with the really, really like when I come across like a clearly like nineteen or twenty year old kid who plays like triple A hockey and weighs a hundred pounds soaking wet, it's just throw him into the boards. Like I weigh one hundred and eighty five, one hundred ninety pounds. Like you're toast, bud. You're 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 dust. <laughs> Love it. Good. Adult league's, adult league's finest, baby. You just throw yeah. some shoulder pads on, kid. You're gonna need if you, it. If you can't beat them, goon them, right? <laughs> hey, get they. There's competitive advantage to everyone. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, I'm the opposite spectrum. I I'm the uh, playmaking small guy at five ten, one sixty. I'm not that much bigger than you, so we'll play. We'll play off each other. We'd be good. We'd be fine. Yeah, we'd be, be better, teach, really good teammates. Teach me a lot. You teach me a lot. Well, you're probably overskilled, under IQ'd. I'm probably over IQ'd, <laughs> underskilled. We'll just compliment. It would be great. I'm just under everything. I'm just under everything. Cross the board. But I'm below average everything yeah exactly that's my yep that's me yeah yeah perfect well well this is a uh, fun time thanks for coming on oh yeah anytime good to good good to catch up that concludes this week's episode thanks for joining us here at hockey iq If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, Hockey'sArsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.